0: Well, good afternoon. We have finally come to the end of this uh, series of gospel meetings. I want to tell you, to start with, that I really appreciate being here. I appreciate being invited. Uh, I always love to come here to Amarillo. Y'all welcomed Jordan and David like your own, and we appreciated that so much. And as I said, I've got friendships here that go back, you know, hundreds of years. (laughs) (laughs) seems like. And uh, I do very much appreciate your hospitality. We invite all of you to come to the Brotherhood meeting in Denton uh, in just about three weeks. I hope we get to see you there. I hope that's part of your plan. Uh, And come visit Carrie and I. We'd love to have you show you some of the hospitality back that you all have shown to us. Not all at once, but you know, family at a time would be great. And we would love to spend that time with you. I want to change our our tempo a little bit as we close out this uh, lesson. I was called by a congregation, and there was a a regional meeting going on, and they said, Would you come speak at that? And I said, Sure. And they said, Well, good, here's your topic. And the topic was How to Be Happy. Um, Do you like being happy? I would be really happy if the PowerPoint worked right now. (laughs) Okay, maybe we're not turned on. See, you're going to have little challenges in life, and you have to be able to roll with those punches. Are we fingers crossed? Everybody hope, hope. yes, no, and we've still got nothing. It's coming. Sometimes patience is a virtue. I didn't plan to talk about patience this afternoon, but sometimes there's a benefit to that. We've got, oh, I'm starting to see something There. Select the direction and setting the configuration menu that matches the orientation of the project. That'll go away. Okay. So, how to be happy. Uh, we've all had a little laugh now. We enjoy being happy. We all want to be happy, don't we? we? We hope for our children to be happy. We hope for those that we know and love to be happy. And so, I said, sure, I'll talk about that. And I began to think, okay... What about Jesus? Was Jesus happy? I mean, all the pictures you see of Him, He's always somber and serious like this. And Of course, when I was asked this, this was back before The Chosen came out. Have some of y'all seen The Chosen? And, you know, in The Chosen, it's a little different picture of Jesus than I had kind of pictured in my mind. And there's episodes where He's playing in the water, you know, in the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, and they're jumping on each other's backs and stuff, and, and He's another one. He's at a wedding, and they're dancing, and I'm kind of going, I don't know. I, you know, that just doesn't fit the picture I had of Jesus. But maybe, I, you know, do you think Jesus was happy? I mean, he had a pretty serious purpose here, but do you think he was happy in life? Let me read to you how the Bible describes him. It said, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, would you like that on your gravestone? A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. None of us have that as our aspiration of life, right? Well, we're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to be like Christ. So does that mean maybe that God doesn't want us to be happy? Does that mean maybe that God wants us to be stricken and acquainted with grief and uh, smitten by God and a man of sorrows? We've got this description of Him, but we've also got this. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. So even though he was a man of sorrows, Jesus said he was a man filled with joy. And he said, I've said these things, I've told you these things about my joy, so that your joy would be full. I believe Jesus wants us, his people, to be a people of joy. A people who can rejoice in Him. The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. You know, the sufferings that Jesus Christ endured, part of His motivation and His ability to endure those was for the joy that was set before Him. He had joy that motivated Him in this. So, I want us to consider... What it means to be happy biblically. To start with, biblical happiness is not found in sin. Now, I will tell you this sometimes sin can be fun. If it wasn't fun, no one would ever do it. Okay? Sometimes it's fun, but it's not happiness, it's not joy that fun lasts a little while and then goes away. When I was in college, I didn't drink. I, you know, I've always stayed away from alcohol, but I had a lot of friends that did drink, and they'd come bang on my door. Hey, we're all going to Boot Hill to party. Come on, you know, and I, I'd go, nah, not me, you know, and it was amazing how many of them would go, well, you know, I was just going to go out there and, visit, you know, I wasn't going to drink or anything, you know. Yeah, sit in the corner and read your Bible while everyone drinks. That. But I didn't do that in serious times with my friends. I asked several of them, I said, you know I don't drink. I said, what am I missing? Every single one of them said, man, you ain't missing nothing. I mean, it's fun while you're doing it, but then you feel miserable the next day and you don't. You ain't missing nothing. They all told me that. Joy, biblical joy, real joy is not found in sin. It's not found in circumstances. Circumstances, sometimes really cool things happen to you. Ever go to the mall and get the best parking place in the whole parking lot? I mean, cool! Uh, I have a relative that, when they get a good parking place, says, Go, God! You know, I mean, she thinks that's wonderful to get to. We all, but real happiness isn't found in circumstances because they change. Because most of the time, I have to park way, way out when I go where there's lots of people. You see, it's not in circumstances. Real, genuine joy, like Jesus talked about, isn't momentary. It's not temporary. It's not, I'm happy today, and tomorrow I'm down, and then I'm up, and then I'm down, and then I'm up. That's not biblical kind of joy. And it's also not emotional froth. It's not just getting excited. I know some people that just seem to be excited a lot. It's not always excitement. It's not like you're on Wheel of Fortune, you know, and you're just winning. It's something different than that biblical happiness is. Biblical happiness is something that's found in forgiveness, in knowing that you've been forgiven for the wrongs that you've done, the things that cause you guilt, and shame it's something that is from within it's not depending on your circumstances it's not momentary but it lasts it's something that will last throughout your entire life and it is a righteous choice and we're going to talk about these briefly does all that seem pretty simple I mean you read it and you go yeah that's all that's simple if it's so simple why aren't you happy I mean, are you happy? You might say, well, I feel pretty good right now. I had a good, good meal and uh, a comfortable seat to sit in. But do you have times you're not happy? Most of us do. Why aren't we happy? Well, part of the reason we're not happy is the way we approach our challenges in life And the way we approach the decisions we make in life, the choices we make in life, the people we surround ourselves with. You know, the Bible talks about a time when Israel was not happy. They had been captured by their enemies. And they, in the book of Psalms, it has this statement about it. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. They had been captured. Would you be happy if you were a slave? They were slaves now. And they sit by the rivers of Babylon. And Babylon, really, the word Babel means confusion. So they were sitting by the rivers of confusion. They had been taken from Jerusalem, which was a city of peace. So they've gone from peace to confusion. And they're sitting here as slaves. And the Bible says we wept. I mean, we were just unhappy. We wept. You've been there, haven't you? You know, it doesn't take long to go from peace to confusion. If one missed paycheck, and you can go from peace to confusion, right? One MRI result, and you can go from peace to confusion. One phone call can take you from peace to confusion. And these people were discouraged. They were downtrodden. They were beaten. But they were exo- exhorted To have joy. Their problem was, you know, in Jerusalem they could see the temple and they knew God was there. But here sitting in Babylon by a river as a slave, they think they've been abandoned by God. But you know, the truth was, God was there with them, wasn't He? Was God there? Was God in Babylon? Yes. God's everywhere. God's not just where the temple is. And in your life, when you look up and you go, God, where are you? He's there. You're not by yourself. No matter what heartache or struggle or challenge you have, there can be joy because you know that God is with you. In our wedding, 33 years ago, Pat Mannon Do you all know Pat Mannon? Some of you do. Pat preached our wedding. And one of the things he said in our wedding was this. He said, may the joys of life be doubled. And the sorrows of life be halved because you experience them together. Now, I really liked that. In fact, I've stolen that and I use that in weddings that I do now. And what he was saying to us is, may we have double joy and half sorrow because we share those things together. And you know, a lot of times in life when things are hard, if there's someone you love, someone that cares for you, and you can know that they're there with you going through this together, There's a comfort in that, right? There's a dependence on each other in that. And the message to Israel was, you know, no matter what you're going through, God is there. He's with you. You don't have to think you left Him back in Jerusalem. Now, I want to try to be really practical in this sermon as we close this meeting out. So I'm going to give you four steps. I did that, didn't I? Four steps to how you can have joy and happiness more consistently in your life, and things you can teach your children to help them have joy more consistently in their lives. Number one, action. Avoid choices that bring sorrow and regret, guilt, shame, and remorse. Just don't do things that you're going to regret tomorrow. Now that seems awfully simple, doesn't it? But how many of the times that you've had heartache in your life have been because of choices you made, right? Things you did that you knew were bad decisions when you did it. Make different decisions. Scripture says this about David. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. That sounds miserable, doesn't it? You know why David said this? Because he committed adultery with a woman and had her husband killed. That's why he said this. And you know, that guilt, that remorse, that regret, that if only I hadn't done that, I mean, that just weighed on him. It was just heavy on him. And it was just, he said, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Y'all know something about the drought of summer around here, don't you? And he said, that my, my joy of life, it just took everything out of me. Now, at that moment, he thought he was having fun, but it turned into terribleness later. Young folks, choose not to do things that are bad that are going to make you feel bad because you did them. You know, every family has mottos, right? One of our family mottos was don't do dumb stuff, okay? That's a pretty good family motto. Just don't do dumb things. Don't do things that are ungodly and unrighteous and think, oh, it's going to be fun. It may be fun for a little bit, but long term, it's not going to be. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard, I know people who were in a marriage that they didn't think was a good marriage, so they thought, well, let's get out of this marriage and go get another one. Very, very rarely is that an upgrade. Very, very rarely are things better. I knew a guy who had done that once, and he told me, he said, Michael, the problem is once you've walked away once, it's way easier to walk away a second time. And a third time, you may know people that have been through three or four marriages or more looking for happiness in a relationship. The problem is that the way of the transgressor is hard. It's not an easy life. It's not a good life to be someone who just does whatever you want to do and it leads away from God. Number two, choose your attitude. You can have a good attitude. You do not have to have a bad attitude. We had a church camping trip recently, and there was a, a little girl who's the child of one of our members, and she got up and I walked over to, to where she and some of the, her dad and some people were standing, and she was like that. And her dad said, Yeah, she's got a bad attitude this morning. I said, Do you have a bad attitude? And she said, Yes. I said, did you get up on the wrong side of the bed? And she said, yes. I said, maybe you need to go back into your tent and get up on the other side of the bed. She said, no. (laughs) She had a bad attitude. She knew it. She enjoyed it. And she was going to revel in her bad attitude for a little while, right? Have you ever done that? You ever had a bad attitude? Ever wake up and you're looking for an argument? You're looking for trouble that day? Don't have a bad attitude. Paul said we glory in tribulations knowing that in tribulation that tribulation produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope he said we glory in hard times look at this one my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials now trials are problems right you ever have a problem have a flat tire Is this saying what you ought to do is, I've got a flat tire, yay! Is that what he's saying? No. He says, count it joy. What that means is you look at it, and you go, this is joy. This is joy. Because it's going to produce in me some patience, which I need right now because I don't have enough of. And that is going to help me grow up and mature as a Christian And that'll make me more like Jesus, which isn't that my goal? Isn't that what I'm trying to do, is be more like Jesus? Count it joy. You can have joy in difficult situations if you choose to have a good attitude. When I say hello to people, I've kind of stolen my greeting from a a guy I've known for many years. People say, hi, how are you? I say, I'm fantastic, but I'm getting better. Okay? I'm not always I'll tell you that. I don't always feel fantastic when I... But you know what? I do that because I want to have a good attitude. No one wants to be around people with a sour attitude. And the truth is, if you have a sour attitude, you'll make other people miserable, but you're going to make you miserable too. And you can choose that. You can choose to be positive or you can choose not to. Number three. Whatever you focus on will be multiplied in your life experience. Now, what does that mean? Whatever you focus on will be multiplied in your life experience. When I bought this blue Hyundai Santa Fe for my wife, I had never noticed before, there are blue Hyundais everywhere. But because I focus on a blue Hyundai... I noticed blue Hyundais everywhere. I used to roof houses. You know what I noticed when I went to somebody's house? Their roof. I built fences for a while. Guess what I noticed? Fences. Whatever you focus on, you're going to notice everywhere. If you focus on negative trouble, bad stuff, guess what you're going to notice everywhere you go? Negative trouble, bad stuff. If you focus on good things... If you focus on the good things of life, if you focus on excellent ideas and happy thoughts, look at this, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Listen, I have not watched a regular news program in years, and guess what? You think that makes me happier or sadder? That makes me happy. You know why? I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh. Y'all remember Rush Limbaugh? Well, I thought he was hilarious when I first started listening to him. He so clever, you know, and doing all the things he did and said. But I realized after a while, you know what? He just made me feel bad about America all the time. I mean, all he did was talk about what's wrong with America all the time. And it I'd get agitated and I'd be angry about all those liberals and you know and And I just thought, I don't need to focus on that stuff. Listen, if you're unhappy about the direction of America, quit watching Fox News or CNN or whatever it is that is feeding all of that for your your focus to become this worldly stuff. Because you know what the truth is? The truth is we're part of a different kingdom than America. America. We have a King of kings and a Lord of lords, and it doesn't matter what happens in America. He's on His throne, and He will always be on His throne. Right? Amen? We believe that. So let's focus on that. Let's focus on what's good and what's holy and what's righteous. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, lovely, pure, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy... Meditate on these things. Think about this stuff instead of thinking about the bad. Now, I want you to think for a minute. When you worry, what do you worry about? When you're worrying, are you thinking about the good things or the bad things? Well, you're thinking, well, you know, this could happen. I haven't heard from my kids yet. It could be... You think about all the bad, and that's what causes worry and misery and unhappiness. If something bad happens... You'll find out about it, and when it does, you can deal with it. You don't need to spend your life worrying about all the things that might happen or might not happen. Focus. The Bible tells us to take our thoughts captive for Jesus Christ. And so we fill our hearts and our minds with Jesus. We start thinking about people the way Jesus thinks about people. And when you do that, you start to love people. And you're not cynical. You know, one of the hazards of getting older is getting cynical because you've seen a lot of bad stuff. You've seen a lot of people make promises they don't keep, and you can get real cynical. Work not to be that way, work to think the best of people, work to think on what's true and noble and lovely because there's a lot of good in this world, there's a lot of beauty in this world. There are a lot of good people. You know, this. I, I think most of you, if I leave out of here and I get 50 miles out of town and I get a flat tire and I don't have a spare, I think most any of you, I could call you on the phone and say, hey, I broke down and I need some help. You'd come help me, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Most all of you would. I've got friends, family members in the church all over the world that would do that for me. And I sit here and get cynical because somebody doesn't respond to a counseling situation like I think they ought to respond. You see, I can focus on what's good and what's lovely and what's joyful, or I can focus on what's bad and negative. And if you choose to focus on the bad and negative, you'll be a miserable person and you'll make people around you miserable. But if you want to be joyful... Think about the good, the pure, and the lovely. Number four, gratitude. Expectations are your enemy. Learn to be grateful. Carrie has a plaque hanging up in our house, and it said, Gratefulness makes what you have enough. Think about that. It does, doesn't it? If you're grateful, it makes what you have enough. Y'all know who that is? Superman. Picture a superman. Now, not the real superman. This is an actor who played the real superman. He was riding a horse and got thrown off and got his neck broken. And he was paralyzed. And he had to sit in that wheelchair. He was paralyzed from here down. And he had to move the wheelchair by blowing in that little straw. You've seen people in wheelchairs that do that, and they can roll it around. One time we were traveling And we were in Houston, we were headed home, and we decided to stop and get some supper. And we chose, Carrie and I chose a place to eat that the kids did not want to eat. Have y'all parents ever had that experience? And, oh no, we don't want that, it's it's not fair. And right about that time as we were sitting there and they were all whining about how it wasn't fair that we got to choose where we were going to eat someone in a wheelchair just like this came out of the restaurant and they were blowing in the little tube to move and I made my, my children sit and watch for about five minutes as that person made their way out and made their way over to a van and the door opened and the little thing came out and they rolled their wheelchair up on that van and I said, that is not fair. It's not fair that you can walk. It's not fair that you have parents that love you. It's not fair that you have food today. It's not fair that you don't live in a box under the highway. Don't talk about what's not fair. If you want to focus on what's not fair, if you want to think about what's not fair instead of being grateful for what you have, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be unhappy. So you didn't get the promotion you wanted. Do you have a job? Are you able to put food on the table? Be happy. Be grateful. So your husband doesn't always remember every anniversary. Do you have a husband who loves you and isn't abusive? Be grateful for that. A guy who's a good father to your kids? Be grateful for those things. You know... This picture, I think, illustrates so well. This little girl, she's got an iPhone, she's got Netflix, she's got a Louis Vuitton purse and dance lessons, and she is unhappy. The kid below is using a rock as a camera, and you see that smile on that kid back there? What's the difference in them? Well, the difference is only expectation and attitude. That's the difference in them expectations are your worst enemy. If I, as a man, come home and I expect my wife to have food on the table when I walk in the door and it needs to be hot and it needs to be something I want to eat. And I walk in the door and there's food on the table and it's hot and it's what I want to eat. Am I grateful? Well, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? She's supposed to have that on there. if I walk in the door and I have to dig through the refrigerator for a cold bologna sandwich... Now, I'm mad, right? I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm unhappy. Change the expectation. If I, on my way home, expect that I'm going to have to dig through the fridge for a cold bologna sandwich, and I get home and I have to dig through the fridge for a cold bologna sandwich, that's just the way things are supposed to be, right? It's what I expected. But if I get home and she's fixed me a hot meal, did you wreck the car? (laughs) I'm grateful. Really? Why did you do this for me? You see, expect the only difference in that is my expectations. Expectations are your worst enemy when you expect they better treat me right. I expect to have justice. I expect the stores to retake my return merchandise even though I was outside the window. And I expect. If you have those expectations, you're going to be miserable and unhappy. But if you make your expectations like the Bible tells us to do, do not let your heart envy sinners, but all my expectations are of you, is what David said. David didn't expect anything from anyone but God. God's the one he expected from. And he just expected the things from God that God had promised him. You see, change those expectations... And you change your experience. And you can then be grateful for having the things that you've been given. And you're not, you're not, you don't have to be greedy with them. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to look at the world as the, you know, they're out to get me all the time. But you can have great joy in the things that you experience in your life. So you've got these four steps Action, attitude, focus, and gratitude. I believe if you will follow those things, those are all solidly biblical things that you should do, you can have a better week this week than you had last week. Your attitude can be better. And when your attitude gets better, not only is it better for you, but it's better for other people. And you'd be amazed how they'll change if your attitude is better. Other people will change in a good way when your attitude is better. I want to close with this one passage that goes back to where we began. He says, You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Isaiah said this about people who trust God. And he said, You know, you'll have perfect peace if you trust in God. He will give you peace to handle No matter what comes your way, no matter what problem and circumstance, not that you won't face sorrow, you will. But you'll face sorrow with joy like Jesus Christ did. You'll face sorrow and you'll be able to smile through the tears because you know that everything that happens is in the hand of God and He's your Father and you're right with Him and He has promised to make it all work out well in the end for you. And so all the other things that happen between now and then, they're just stuff that happens in your life. I want to encourage you to consider these things, think about them, and um, if you need the prayers of the church, we would be happy to help you with prayers or baptism or whatever your need might be. If you'll make that known while we stand and sing.